0: All right, show of hands this morning, everybody, please. Who's really excited? Not just like that. Oh, there's always one in the room, isn't there? But uh, uh, show of hands, who's really excited for election season? Three, Elijah. I don't. You're excited for election season? Yeah. Okay. Something in the blood? I don't know how that works. <laughs> um. Uh, no, but I. Uh, uh, how does How does all of this work? Some of you are very excited about it. I know how it works. You'll get together on that election night and you'll pop out the popcorn and you'll sit in front of Anthony Green on the TV. If you don't know who that is, it doesn't matter because you don't care about elections anyway. Uh, And you'll sit and watch him and all of his statistics coming through day after day after day. Truth be told, I quite like that. Uh, I once gave up going to see a rock band because I wanted to stay home and watch the statistics. I don't really care who wins the election so much. I just love statistics. How good are they? Uh, Anyway, um, (laughs) the rest of you hate the election and wish it would be over. I used to work on the elections at different times uh, and it's quite an entertaining task as you count the votes on the end of an evening. You work out pretty quickly that there's a lot of people that don't like the election. They draw pictures on their ballot papers. (laughs) They write you notes and lectures. They have a go at you personally as if we've got something to do with it. But nonetheless, it's all... A bit of fun but we have to be honest don't we in our nation we have to be very very thankful for peaceful pretty calm elections at the end of the day and as christians we've got a pretty big part to play in an ever polarizing world we have a very important part to play what's our part to play well prayerfully making our our part to play uh, count before during and after And not all Christians will, of course, vote the same way. We have a different set of criteria, a different hierarchy of issues in our own mind as to what we want to vote for. But one of the key words that keeps coming out in every election campaign forever has been this, trust. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust to do a better job with? Fill in the blank. Who are you going to trust to do a better job with? The hierarchy issue that you think is the most important issue. Trust is such an important word when it comes to this election season. But of course, elections and politics are the organisation of a fallen world, and it's important uh, nonetheless that we find people we can trust. But it stands to reason then that when it comes to gospel ministry, which has eternal consequences, not just consequences for a fallen world, but for an eternal world, we need to know who we can trust. We need to know who we can listen to. This was the problem for Paul and the church in the ancient city of Corinth. He was the apostle who first brought the message of Jesus, his death and resurrection to the people in Corinth. And many people became followers of Jesus in that city. Many became Christians. And yet as he left and moved to a new new, uh, town to speak about Jesus there, people came in in recent times in the city of Corinth with a different message. A message that was self-serving, if you like. It was a message of glory and might and power and influence and all of the amazing, miraculous things that go along with that, healings and speaking in tongues and so on. And yet Paul writes to say, my message was a message of greater power. Though it doesn't look anything like those people that have come into the city of Corinth because I speak simple words. And I speak words about a crucified saviour. And ironically, there is only one place you find true power and it's in the weakness of the cross and the words about the cross. This is what this letter has been about so far. Paul trying to prove to the Corinthians that he is worth listening to and that there is power in weakness even though everything else seems to speak of the opposite. Today's passage in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 1 of chapter 7 as Pete just read for us is Paul urging this Corinthian church to stick with him and as a result to stick with the truth. And so as we get ready to dive into this passage this morning. Three very quick things. First of all, I have one last copy of the book of the series here, Weakness is the Way, $19 uh, from uh, J.I. Packer. It's a great book, so please grab a hold of that if you want that one. Uh, That's... uh, there for you today also we ask questions and have a small question time after the service you can uh, find the questions on your phone slido.com and the hashtag is hb for helensburg sp for stanwell park Uh, and if you wonder what we're doing today if you're a guest with us we work our way through books of the bible and we find ourselves at this point in the book of two corinthians and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning so i'm going to pray as we dive aboard heavenly father please be with us this morning and help us amidst all of the distractions of a, a long weekend. Uh, to help us to see your word clearly, uh, that we might be people who follow and love the Lord Jesus, who died for us and rose again, and we ask it in his powerful name. Amen. Well, we start in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 with the urgent, important gospel. Many of you that work in various business spheres will know much better than me that time management is an important issue. And one of the uh, slogans, or indeed one of the books that was written, that is the go-to little little handout, is the tyranny of the urgent. You might have heard of this one before. It's a book that sort of states that the urgent things can sometimes drown out what is the most important and that you need to give yourself to the things that are important rather than just the things that are urgent. Well, Paul says in verses 1 and 2 that when it comes to gospel ministry... The gospel is both important and urgent. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As we last left the book of 2 Corinthians a few weeks ago, we left it after a golden section, chapters 4 and 5, where Paul completed this section by imploring his listeners to be reconciled to God. He says this in chapter 5, verse 20, and then he goes on to say in verse 21, for our sake he made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin uh, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God this is the message of reconciliation Jesus did a great swap with us he swapped his uh, his righteousness for our sin that we might become righteous and so in chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 Paul says don't walk away today is the day of salvation don't walk away from this message that's been proclaimed to you don't wait don't delay Jump all in with the gospel. Don't dabble around with those who will teach other messages or live other ways or don't put the message of the gospel on hold in your own hearts. Do any of us know what tomorrow will bring? Of course, none of us do, but we all live as though we know exactly what tomorrow will bring, exactly the same as today. But when we stop and actually consider, we recognize actually our life can be turned upside down in the click of a finger. And so Paul says to his readers, including us today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the favorable time. Jesus has offered a great swap of his righteousness for your sin and today is the day that is both urgent and important to grab a hold of that offer from Jesus and put it into practice. You might be like the Corinthians. This might be a message that you have heard before. I know the message about Jesus. I know he died on a cross. I know he rose from the dead. The Corinthians knew that too and Paul says to them, do not I appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. This message is both urgent and important, worthy of us taking to heart not only today but tomorrow and the next day as well. It is an urgent and important gospel. And so Paul goes on to say, this urgent and important message that we brought to you, we brought to you obstacle-free verses 3 to 10 Paul says obstacle free ministry is the goal that all Christian people should be searching for Paul came into Corinth and as best he could he put no obstacles in front of the people of Corinth hearing the message about Jesus he says we served you with an obstacle free ministry look at verse 3 we put no obstacle in anybody's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. This is trustworthy gospel ministry. As Paul came into the city of Corinth, he served the people there by taking himself out of the picture, by not asking for any payment, by simply bringing the message of Jesus free and without obstacle in any way for the good of the other person. Of course, he is drawing a contrast with those teachers who have come into Corinth more recently. They came in self-serving, proud, arrogant, making it all about them with letters of commendation and recommendation. But Paul says, no, I came and I served God and I served you by bringing a simple message of Jesus' death and resurrection, the message of weakness in which God is powerful to save. And this is the model of Christian ministry that is true for anyone who ministers in any way. Anyone who serves others by bringing them the message of the gospel is to do so in an obstacle-free, self-sacrificial way. Now, for Paul, this turned very extreme, didn't it? Let's just look at a small portion of what this looks like in verse 4, second half of verse (coughs) 4. Excuse me. By great endurance in afflictions, Hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger. And so the list goes on. We could go on further. This love that Paul had for others removed any sort of self-interest, self-promotion or any obstacle in order that these people of Corinth might hear the message about Jesus. See, what we need to know. What we need to know today is that if we're involved in bringing the message of Jesus to other people, and we all are in various ways, whether it's around our dinner table with our children, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in our church ministry or whatever else it might be, as we bring the word of God to others, to bear on others' lives, we do so in a uh, word-shaped, love-motivated way. Paul attempted to do this in Corinth. Of course, he would have done so imperfectly. And we do so imperfectly as well. And So what will it look like for us to bring this message of Jesus with an obstacle-free manner? Well, there's four things I want to share with you that come uh, straight from a book. Thanks, Rod. Come straight from a book. Legend. Legend. Come straight from a book I read through the week and uh, I hope these words are helpful for you as well. Question number one, are you ready for life to be hard? Serving and ministering the word of God to others is an exercise of laying down your life, laying down your preferences, laying down your own glory for God's glory and the good of other people. Others need the gospel of Christ and so we take off our own comforts and ease and we replace it by serving others for their benefit. This will mean that life by definition will be hard. Are you ready for this as we seek to have obstacle free ministry? Secondly, are you committed to only using gospel-shaped ministry and methods as you share the message of Jesus with others in your Bible study group or in your, uh, in your ministry of any kind? It's all too easy to look for and search for self-promotion, self-influence, self-congratulation. But the ministry of Jesus Christ are, is the speaking of words, weak words about a crucified saviour that bring God's power. This is the method that God has given to his church. This is the method that God has given to his people to speak these words about Jesus. Thirdly, are you prepared to be uh, are you prepared for the fact that you will be praised and damned in equal measure? See, putting uh, no obstacles in people's place does not mean that you will be universally liked as you bring the message of Jesus to the world. As you speak of sin and life being changed, people will react negatively and positively as they did to Paul and they will do to us. Nonetheless, we are to be truthful and clear and honest as we speak about Jesus and what he has come to do. Fourthly, and finally in this section, are you commit? Are you convinced that you can only find security and satisfaction in Christ? Because to be self-sacrificially serving God. To be self-sacrificially bringing the message of Christ means we need to find only our security, not in ourselves, but in Christ alone. Well, Paul says, I brought an obstacle-free ministry to you. And many of you accepted the message of Jesus, but now we are of a secondary problem, Paul says in verses 11 to 13. The problem here is that the Corinthians had not opened their hearts to him. Look at verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as children, widen your hearts also. You can hear Paul pleading with his listeners here, can't you? Your hearts are closed to me he says. Now, by itself, that might be a problem. But for Paul, it's not about his reputation, but about the message of Jesus Christ. You see, the Corinthians' hearts were closed to Paul and therefore closed to his message. On the other hand, their hearts were open to teachers that were coming in and proclaiming a message of glory and power and influence. Paul says, who you open your heart to is who you're ready to listen to and the gospel is at stake because the gospel is not just an influence of of uh, information the gospel is a relational business we're not just brains on a stick gospel communication is a relational activity i don't know if you can remember back i remember back to year three at Yarrawarra Public School. That's where I went to school, just up the road, year three. And my teacher came out of the hat on the day. You know, when you you find out who your teacher's going to be on that day, I found out it was going to be Miss Gill. Now, maybe some of you know who Miss Gill is. I'm not sure what's happening to her today. But I can tell you this for a fact. When you got her at school, everybody groaned. Not Miss Gill. She's shocking. We hate her because she's strong She's disciplinarian. She doesn't smile before Easter. All of those normal things that you're supposed to do as a teacher. Everybody disliked Miss Gill. Nobody wanted to have Miss Gill. When you had Miss Gill, your heart sank. And my heart sank on that very first day. Now, I actually haven't spoken to my parents about their tactics with this or whether they did it on purpose or not. But I think my parents were very smart. I remember at dinner, the first night of school, complaining that I had Miss Gill... And my parents told me just how good a teacher she was. She's a great teacher. She'll do a fantastic job. Yeah, okay, so she's a bit strict and a bit, uh, she doesn't smile all that much and all that sort of stuff, but she's a fantastic teacher. and You'll learn heaps from her. It's interesting, isn't it? That for me, that year, that was one of the best years of my education. Because of what my parents said on that occasion, my heart was open to listening to her. And as a result, I learned a lot and a bunch of my schoolmates went backwards in their their education as well. So often it's the case in church life as well. I remember being a youth minister in a previous church and appointing a youth leader to a particular position. This youth leader was to look after year seven and eight girls. And I remember a few of the parents coming to me and saying, she's inappropriate. I would say, Why? She doesn't get on very well with the girls. She's not as nice as some of these other people that you should have picked to be the leader of this place. And I thought, it's no surprise that your children have closed their hearts to the message this leader is bringing. She was not unfaithful. She was not inappropriate for the position. She just wasn't as fun as some of the other girls could have been as a youth leader. Oftentimes, as we're readying ourselves to hear God's word, whether it's from a children's leader or a youth leader or someone else in uh, in uh, in Christian circles, we can have our hearts closed to what they're saying. And Paul here is saying, when your heart is closed, you'll be closed off to the message as well. We need to be very careful as followers of the Lord Jesus, around our own dinner tables, that we don't speak ill of the children's leaders or the youth leaders or whatever else it might be, lest their hearts be closed off to the teaching that they bring. So long as they're appropriate, so long as they're being upstanding citizens and living for Christ, then we need to work hard to open our hearts to them so that our hearts might be open to their message as well. Well, finally, Paul comes in verses 14 to the end of this section, chapter 7, verse 1, to ask the Corinthians finally to repent. It's taken him six chapters to ask them to repent, and finally he gets there. Look at verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, I wonder what first comes to mind as you read that little section there. What first comes to mind? If you've been a Christian any length of time, and perhaps as a young person, you might think this is a section about dating and marriage. Certainly, I've heard many a talk about this section being about dating and marriage, and let me make it very clear. A Christian dating and marrying someone that's not a Christian is a really bad idea. It's a really bad idea. There are many passages of Scripture that point to this reality. However, that's not what this passage is necessarily about in the first place it might be a secondary application but it's not a primary one do you notice in chapter 6 verses 11 to 13 Paul asks the Corinthians to open their hearts to him and then over in chapter 7 verse 2 the section we'll look at next week it's like he continues this phrase make room for us in your hearts we have wronged no one and so on he goes uh, he goes on to say It appears as though this little section has been airlifted into the middle here. But this is Paul's punchline. After six chapters of asking his readers to trust him, careful not to cause offence, he now says in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now we come to the crux of the issue. Corinthians, you need to repent Your fellowship with these teachers, these unbelievers, these pagans, these people in the dark is inappropriate and it needs to stop. And he goes on with five questions that he asks in the second half of verse 14. Look at them there. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols. Paul says it's this partnership, this fellowship, Corinthians. You're listening to the wrong people. You're listening to a false message. You're partaking in false ministry. And you need to step away from it. And you can't do it. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. He says, separate from them, come away from them. Do not have anything to do with them. And the key here is not just in who they are, but the endorsement or participation or encouragement in the worship that they would conduct that is wrong and false. And when it comes to us in 2022, we've got to ask ourselves if we have a connection as a church family or as individuals that requires that we share in the worship of another person, then we are unequally yoked with them. And the primary application of this passage is about the church in Corinth and the church in this place today. We must make sure that we are not unequally yoked with unbelievers, that we are not drawn into worshipping what they worship, that we are pure in that way, worshipping God alone. One example of this might be that it's important for us as a church family not to engage in interfaith services with Jehovah's Witnesses and Hindus and Buddhists and so on. That would be wrong for us to do that. As we worship alongside these people, this would be us being unequally yoked with unbelievers. Someone has once said that Christian faith is, is like a boat And the boat needs to be in the water, but the minute the water is inside the boat, we're in trouble. This is what it's like for us in our lives as we gather around with those who are unbelievers in our world. We must do so. We must do so. We must be in the water, if you like. But the minute that that influence gets inside the boat and we start to worship what the world worships, then we have lost our distinctiveness. And as a result, we're in danger of losing the message of Christ itself. This is the application that Paul is giving to the Corinthian people. Repent, Corinthians. I've told you why I'm worth listening to. Now I need you to repent because the message of Jesus Christ is at stake. Your salvation is at stake. You might have received the grace of God in vain. Do not do it. Now, of course, there's all sorts of secondary applications for us, isn't there? We find ourselves in a world with all sorts of connections with people in the world who are not believers. Friends, family members, work colleagues. We're getting together with unbelievers all the time. So is this passage saying to us that that we should separate off and create our own little world in every way? Well, the many passages of Scripture do not allow this to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 explains that it's okay for a follower of Jesus to go to the house of an unbeliever and share a meal together but if that unbelieving person prays a prayer to a false god over the food at the beginning refrain from eating. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 5 to say actually if we were to separate ourselves off from all of the sin in the world and the unbelievers in the world we'd have to leave the world entirely we should not do that. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he goes on to say, if, if you've become a Christian and your spouse is not a Christian, if you're married to a non-Christian, do not divorce. Do not separate. And yet he goes on to say, at the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you're in a position to engage in a relationship, do not engage in a relationship with someone who is not a follower of the Lord Jesus. The key is to make sure that our... our Uh, connection with the world around us does not involve worshipping what they worship, which is much harder today than it ever has been before. After all, it's easy in the ancient world to see an idol in someone's home, people bowing down to it and saying, I will not do that. But today people worship all sorts of things, don't they? Their money, their possessions, their work, their family. All of these things are the modern idols and it's much harder to discern what these things look like. The Corinthians were involved in compromised worship. They were courting idolatrous teachers, not only listening to them but having fellowship with them. They were unequally yoked, and Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because if you do, you will lose everything. Paul says, Who do you trust? you trust me to talk to you about what really matters or will you trust the flashy the showy the people that are cool and influential who will you listen to the message about jesus or the message of power and influence for us we have to ask ourselves the same question who will we trust with the urgent and important message of the lord jesus christ And will we so strongly hold on to that message that we will not be unequally yoked with the unbelievers around us but instead worship God in purity? Next week, we'll go on to see how Paul encourages the Corinthians to take this repent word, to take this action of repentance and to put it into practice as hard as it is to do. But for the meantime, I'm going to pause and uh, see if there's a few questions that you might like to ask on slido.com. I'm going to stop for about two minutes or so and come back and answer a couple of questions in just a moment. All right, there's a couple of things on slido.com. You can keep adding yours with the hashtag HBSP. Uh, Just a couple of things there for now. Someone's asked to pray for Miss Gill. Please do, that'd be a good thing to do. She was great. I told you she was great. She was great. My heart was open to her. That was a good thing. Um, uh, Here's a question here. What place is there for continuing and pursuing relationship with people who have known but rejected Jesus? Um, that's a great question. Depends what known means in the question, um, and it's, it's sort of hard to tell. Um, have known, well, lots of people know, like last weekend being Easter, lots of people recognise Jesus, that Jesus died, that he was a real person, he died, that he rose again. Lots of people recognise that, uh, and so it's hard to know what level of recognition we're talking about there. Um, but I think uh, there's always a place for continuing and pursuing relationship with people, um, who have rejected Jesus in any way? That's always worth doing. Um, uh, sometimes our tactics will have to be different depending on how uh, what what the nature of that rejection looks like. Uh, if they're angry for any particular reason, that might look different uh, to the way in which we might talk to them if they're open still to the message about Jesus. So it's a little bit different. One of the important things though, and the important thing of this passage is not to so connect yourself to them in life in whatever way that looks like, um, that you are then forced to have to uh worship whatever it is that they're worshipping now. That that would be a mistake. Uh and that's really what this passage is about. Um so there's nothing wrong with being friends with anyone. That's a really good thing. But if you're so connected to that person uh, that you have to alter your worship and say, I oh, will worship this thing today and we'll worship Jesus next week, then you're in, you're in trouble. Um, and that's really what this passage is about. Uh, second question is from Rod. Was Paul's exhortation to not be yoked with unbelievers refer to the false teachers at Corinth? Were they part of the church or itinerant speakers passing by? Um, probably both, Rod. They, they probably were... Um, itinerant speakers passing by but in the in the uh, ancient world you probably tended to stay for longer anyway so they ended up being in the church anyhow Um, it's hard to know with exact clarity about this um, putting it together historically um, but they would have been itinerant preachers but like for example Paul he was in Corinth for 18 months which was a pretty short period of time uh, compared with some of the other places he was and he was there for 18 months previously. That's a long time, really. So he was in the church at the time as he sort of founded the church. So these false teachers would have been itinerants and in the church. But we know from the rest of the letter that they were taking advantage of the people as well uh, and uh, looking for their own benefit rather than others and uh, therefore bringing the wrong message. And so Paul says, don't be yoked together with them. Don't be tied together so deeply with them uh, that, uh, uh, that you're listening to them and not listening to the true message of the gospel of Christ. Uh, and for us, that's always a danger as well. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we ask please uh, that you would uh, help us to uh, uh, work out who it is that we can trust with the message of Jesus uh, so that we can uh, uh, listen clearly uh, to this message and hold firm and fast to it and not be uh, yoked unhelpfully uh, to, to others Who will lead us off in a different direction of worship and away from you we ask please that you would uh, strengthen us for this help us to be discerning help us to understand uh, uh, what the truth is from your word and how we can stick to it Uh, please help us to encourage each other to do that with your word in hand uh, as we go through our lives uh, in this world uh, that you might help us to be the people of God that we are supposed to be the uh, the the a separate holy people that you have called us to be in Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.